The following is brought to you in part by MFC Studios. The views of the show's host and guests do not necessarily reflect those of the management, owners, or staff of this radio station. And now, it came from the radio. again to it came from the radio the official show of the big apple con this is your host mark torres speaking with me once again as it's going to be for a while via social distancing is from the life with jenner g jen elise feldy good day everyone so this week's show we're going to have pronto comics dominic definition man sprano will have his comic pick of the week we're going to have another Jaybird and Lee segment, and I know our senior correspondent, Charlie Saladino, also has a segment on Regis Feldman, which is part of the sad news. But before we do any of that, we got to take it away with the news. The news is brought to you in part by the fine folks of the Big Apple Con, which we are the official radio show of celebrating over 25 years of pop cultureness and comic book stuff. For more information, go to www.bigapplecc.com, and eventually one of these days they'll have more information on our next convention. And also want to give the shout-outs for, for our Patreons, of which there are Danny Grillo, award-winning director Jared Burrell, Kyle Horn, Millie Portez, Newsday Famous Dresden Media, Unji Kun, Shadow Rabbit Art, and The Huracan, which is a convention in a church in Long Island. If you want to get your own little shout-out, uh, go to www.patreon.com and look up it came from the radio in the search bar. Uh, this week we're going to start off the news a little bit different, so our very own Jen Elise Feldy is going to be doing the news. So take it away with the news, starting off with sad news. Starting off with the sad news, my favorite. Legendary talking game show host Regis Feldman has died recently of heart disease. None other than our very own senior correspondent, Charles Saldino, who actually worked with him during his time at ABC, will have a segment about Regis later in the show. He was 88. So, um, yeah, I mean, Regis has, Regis has been around since forever. And um, Charlie was always talking about him when uh, he used to work at ABC, so I think it's going to be interesting to hear. Were you a big fan of Regis? Uh, he's the, Cl- the guy that did uh, Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's Eve, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I used to always mix up Regis and Dick Clark. I'm uh, sorry. I had to. Really? Um, yeah, I don't know. Some people like um, the, uh, the X-Files guy and Rob Lowe. I always mix them two guys up, those two white guys. Yes, I can see that. Um, there's a bunch of people. They're kind of interchangeable to me, so no, no disrespect to Regis, but uh, yeah, R.I.P. That's your cue to say moving along. <laughs> okay, more bad news. <laughs> Legendary actress, actress Dame Olivia de Havilland also died this week from natural causes. Olivia appeared in such films as The Irish and Us, A Midsummer Night's Dream, Captain Blood, the Charge of the Light Brigade, It's Love I'm After, Gold is Where You Find It, The Adventures of Robin Hood, Four is a Crowd, Hard to Get, The Private Lives of Elizabeth and Essex, Essex, Gone with the Winds, My Love Came Back, The Strawberry Blonde, Hold Back the Dawn, They Died with Their Boots On, The Male Animal, The Well-Groomed Bride, The Snake Pit, The Heiress, My Cousin Rachel, Not My Cousin Vinny, The Ambassador's Daughter, Lady in the Cage, Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte, 
Airport 77, The Swarm, The Fifth Musketeer, just to name a few. On the small screen, Olivia appeared in such shows and TV movies as The Screaming Woman, Roots, The Next Generations, A Love Boat, Murder is Easy, The Royal Romance of Charles and Diana, North and South, Book Two, Anastasia, The Mystery of Anna Dowager, and The Woman He Loved, just to name a few. Of note, Olivia was made a dame, which is the female equivalent version of being made a knight, just two weeks shy of her 101st birthday in 2017. Wow. Mm-hmm. Putting her in the same category as actresses Julie Andrews, Judy Dench, Angelina Jolie, Helen Mirren, Diana Rigg, Olivia newton Sean, and Elizabeth Taylor, just to name a few. She was 104. So I, I've I've known a couple of those movies I've seen that she's in, but I cannot say that I, I can place. Oh, that's her! But she's been in a lot. Well, I was told I looked like her a few years ago, and it was pretty uplifting to be compared to a hundred and one year old. <laughs> so every time I think of her, I think, oh, I look like that. Okay, okay, cool, cool, got it. Even more sad news. Penciler, inker, colorist, letterer, editor, editor, and publisher Dan Necrosis has also died recently. As of this recording, 729, no cause of death has been announced. Dan worked in the comics industry for over 30 years with just about every major comic company at one point or another in some form, including DC, Marvel, Archie, Dark Horse, Malibu, and Image, just to name a few. He was 57. Um, once again, another person who I don't know in particular, but I'm aware of his work. So it's kind of weird how people can be in the industry, and they, they can touch you in ways you don't even realize. Huh. Mm, yes, touching, touching. No, no relation to Harvey Weinstein. Do we really have to guess how Dan Necrosis died? Oh, we don't have to guess. <laughs> I can take a wild guess. What, what, what would be your wild guess? Uh, necrosis? <laughs> Death of tissues, lack of blood flow. I mean, it is in his name. <laughs> but I mean, he died I mean, of irony. He died from anything else other than what he is. <laughs> but moving on. Last bit of sad news. Yay! Longtime actor John Saxon also died recently of pneumonia. Pneumonia. <laughs> appeared in such films as. Ooh, okay, deep breath. <laughs> Wild, Summer Love, The Reluctant Debutante, Cry Tough. The original, The Unforgiven, Posse from Hell, Mr. Hobbs Takes a Vacation, The Girl Who Knew Too Much, The Cardinal, The Nightcaller, The Appaloosa, One Dollar Too Many, Death of a Gunfighter, Enter the Dragon, Planet Earth, The Original Black Christmas, Strange Shows in an Empty Room, March Strikes Again, The Cynic, The Rat in the Fist, The Bees, Fast Company, The Glove, Beyond Evil. Running Scare, Blood Beach, Prisoners of the Lost Universe, A Nightmare on Elm Street, as well as Wes Craven's new nightmare, cool, Fever Pitch, Hands of Steel, Death House, The Last Samurai, Nightmare Beach, My Mom's a Werewolf, Blood Savage, The Baby Doll, Beverly Hills Cop 3, From Dust Till Dawn, Lancelot, Guardian of Time, Final Payback, The Road Home, Old Dogs, Werewolves, and Genghis Khan, just to name a few. On the small screen, John appeared in such shows as Burke's Law, Gunsmoke, Dr. Kildare, The Time Tunnel, Bonanza, The Original Ironside, The Old Ones, The New Doctors, 
Kung Fu, as well as the sequel series Kung Fu, The Legend Continues, The Streets of San Francisco, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, The Six Million Dollar Man, The Rockford Files, Wonder Women, Lunch and Eagle, The Original Fantasy Island, The Original Giant Baby, Falcon Crashed, Scarecrow, and Mrs. King, The A-Team, Murder, She Wrote, Melrose Place, Living in Fear, and War Wolves, just to name a few. He was 83. I think you got lost along the way and turned it to somebody else. <laughs> I, it's all me. I just got different sides of myself. You know, many of us just choose not to show the different sides of us, and I like to let it all out, baby. I think I think the other part was was clawing to get out while you were reading the names. <laughs> my old wise self was feeling him. He's 83, and I was like, he was quite good looking. Let's, <laughs> I was getting excited. <laughs> Um, I was a fan of John Saxon. I, I I actually knew his work. I knew who he was. So that was like, wow! I, I can't believe he uh, only was eighty three and was in so much stuff. Mm. Yes. Well, the Black Christmas. I'd like to see that. I think the food would be better than a White Christmas. <laughs> Probably more flavorful. Like white people's like salt and pepper is kind of boring. I actually saw two out of the three Black Christmases. They made a, th- a third one recently, but I haven't seen that one. I've seen the other two. Well, get started. Get going. <laughs> Start watching it. <laughs> Next, the Emmy nominations are in. Oh, my God. And none other than the comic book series HBO's Watchmen leads the pack with a total of 26 nominations, followed by Disney's The Mandalorian with 15. What's interesting to note is that the trend continues to favor streaming services over traditional networks as Netflix has increased its nominations from 118 last year to 160 this year, and the NBC went from 58 nominations in 2019, dropping to just 27 for this year, which is the most of any regular network. That's 47. 47. Yeah. You, you said 27. Well, um I think it's it's kind of it's kind of cheating because Netflix and other streaming services have the ability to be Oscar nominated movies and Emmy nominated TV shows as opposed to but it's still only on TV. So like movies are movies and TV is TV it's supposed to be separate, but now you can get both of them and they can be nominated on the same platform. I think it's crazy how this is coming to be. You know my thoughts on this, don't you? I do. Why don't you share them with the rest of the group? Well, you know, uh, who's judging these people? It's just another human. So do I really care about another human's opinion? No. I don't care. (laughs) But other people, you know, that's what gets your rocks off. Hey, have fun. You know, it's nice to be excited about something because very few things excite me. Ah, moving on. From the shortest job ever department... Just after five days of announcing their new publisher, IDW has announced that said publisher, Judd Myers, is now on, quote, administrative leave with no reason for the change. Originally, Judd said, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to step into this role and help continue IDW's legacy of quality storytelling. We have a wealth of talented creators and a brilliant editorial and production staff helping to shape our story. In the coming months, we're going to add to our family, and we will continue to deliver the greatest licensed content in comics, expanding and shaping the global reach of all of our licensors and their brands. No further comment has been made from Judd nor IDW as of this recording. 
I think something's going on. <laughs> I think we're going to find out what's going on, but it's probably a uh, either cancel culture or a Me Too movement. There's no reason why you would hire somebody, put them in charge, and then five days later, like, you're out. Cancel culture, uh, wanting to sleep with the person, the person's like, I'm not having it, I'm not touching your feet, buddy. And I think it's just very interesting that he said, we're going to add to our family right before he dipped out of the family. <laughs> or, or was made to dip out. That was the other thing. Like, he didn't, he didn't decline. They made him decline. Or they made him on administrative leave, whatever that means. I hope it's not cancel culture, but I really hope that we have a boomerang back, a backlash to cancel culture in the next few months or years where people just don't care. I'm hoping for that. Let's, let's hold on tight for that one. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. From the one hand, doesn't know what the other hand is doing department. As mentioned on a previous show, due to the ongoing pandemic, we're in a pandemic? We're in a pandemic? Okay. Uh, San Diego Comic-Con was fully online this past weekend with all of its panels, including the one that Mark was a part of, which I didn't see, I'm sorry, were released on the San Thanks. Diego... <laughs> I know, I know, I'm going to watch it though. Were released on the San Diego, San Diego Comic-Con YouTube feed. Normally, these panels contain exclusive content from the creators' studios of their properties. It turns out that the copyright YouTube bots had flagged at least two of the panels based on its copyright violations, uh-huh, of which are impossible since the videos released were from the copyright owners themselves. Hello. In all cases, the error was rectified. I love that word, rectified, in under 30 minutes. But it's not a good look for YouTube nor SDCC. Not a good look. Yeah, it's, uh, can you imagine you're putting out your own stuff, you're promoting your own stuff, and then it gets pulled <laughs> because yeah. it, you're copywriting infringement? Um, yeah, I, I do. Lloyd Kaufman, 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 however you want to say, he talks a lot about this, um, this YouTube blocking things. And lately, my intuition keeps telling me to do pre-recorded and not do live just due to the uh, ability to be kicked off. Because it's rampant lately. I don't really believe in doing the live broadcast anymore. But what's funny is that most of these um, uh, recordings were pre-recorded. So that makes it even worse. Ah, uh, yeah, YouTube is uh, YouTube's on something lately. But it is nice that, um, a silver lining, that these copyright violations and the censoring is being brought to the forefront and general copyrights who are not really in the industry are seeing this type of ransom, rampant censorship. So I'm glad that people are waking up to this and maybe that will spur some real change. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. Maybe it'll just keep on getting more censored and we'll turn into China and we're all going to be eating fried rice for dinner, and that's going to happen. That's what they do in China, right? Wow, that was, that was, cancel me. Cancel I, I don't care. I'm just honestly challenging the cancel culture gods to cancel me. I really just, I'm so... Just uh, walking around eating fried rice. Yeah, that's what, that's what's going to happen. So it's going to be censored. All we're going to say to each other is, hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? You're not, no one's going to talk out of turn. Uh, I'll create my own world in that in that way. I'll have my own Epstein Island where only people who are into cancel culture will be allowed. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Speaking of San Diego Comic-Con, from the ain't nothing like the real thing, baby, department, now that San Diego Comic-Con's online version is in the books, reports are coming in on how low the numbers are compared to previous years, despite being a free and a free and be fully accessible to everyone with an interconnect internet connection around the world. According to the social media data, 
tweets that mention Comic-Con were down 95% from last year. Tweets about the top TV events were down 93%. And tweets about the top five movie panels were also down 99%. So at least I wasn't the only one not watching it. So yes, yes, you, you were one of those people. <laughs> I will watch because I, I have a lot of love for you, so I'm, I'm going to watch. Experts are citing a poor interactive experience with all the panels being pre-recorded and all comments being turned off, as well as limited interaction of the dealer's room, which include, includes artist Alan. Also, the lack of panels from Marvel Studios, Lucasfilm, and DC Films didn't help boost interest in the online event. So, I mean, it's crazy because we, we talked about this, how this could have been the biggest convention yeah. ever. Because San Diego is the number one convention in the entire United States. And because they opened it up to the world, like, the numbers should have been, uh, you know, un unimaginable. And yet... It's the complete opposite happened. It's crazy. It's, I mean, I, I, I participated in it. I went to the website. Um, it did have an interactive um, panel, uh, like a show floor. So every time you moused over any of the, uh, the little booths, it had a little advertisement, a little deal that they had going on. You can click on it, and it takes them to their website. But apparently, there was no information on how to do that. So if you didn't know, you didn't know. And Maybe people go to really just like feel and touch and speak and smell each other, like really that in-person connection, <laughs> and maybe that's what this was lacking. It really did feel that way because once again, I think even in the panels, there should have been uh, the the live chat because that's that's the interaction that people want in these conventions. Yeah, that's weird. But you know, uh, DC still has their next one. I think it's coming up on the twenty-second of August. So they're going to have their own panel uh, convention to see how they, they'll learn. And we still have New York Comic Con that hasn't happened yet. And as, as of right now, I'm not sure if it is going to happen. They might also go online. Oh, they didn't cancel that yet? Not yet. They're, they're still waiting. Wow, I'm in shock. Okay. All right. This gives me some faith for the film festival I'm working on. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll hold on tight. It's a year of a lot of uh, suspense. Well, speaking of interactivity, which was lacking from the San Diego Comic-Con, from the Collector's Gotta Collect department, Comics Connect has announced that they will be holding a special comics-theme-based auction consisting of the Lasso of Truth movie prop from Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, All-Star Comics number 8, Wonder Woman's first appearance, Sensation Comics number 1, Wonder Woman's second appearance, Wonder Woman number 6, the first appearance of Cheetah, Thor's hammer, used in Thor Part 2, Captain America's combat helmet in Captain America, and Wolverine's claws from the first X-Men film, amongst others. Auctioneer says, We've seen again and again that successful superhero movies drive up related comic values. So our winning bidders can expect to see their investments grow. The auction starts August 1st and August 28th. I mean, yes, there's people out there who normally would have spent money to go to San Diego, to go to these conventions, that have an excess of money that they're not spending. But, I don't know, having auctions for, for crazy amounts of money at this time, I just, I just don't see it. I mean, I do know a few people personally that are bidding on things like baseball cards, and these are people that are still working and making a lot of money, God bless them. But the average person... Uh, I'm, I'm watching my money. I'm really not buying things I don't really need. And I can't eat, you know, a Wolverine claw, so... Well, you could. 
Right. And maybe it would digest more slowly than watermelon, so I'd stay full <laughs> more long, and that might be a good thing for satiation and quelling my appetite. So, I mean, I, I'm guessing, as, as the title says, collectors got to collect, so that's what they do. That's part of who they are. But I just find that running an auction right now isn't a good idea. But then again, maybe it's not even for the people who are the average shows, as you mentioned. Yeah, well, we're collectors, and we got to collect, so it doesn't matter if there's a pandemic. We're still collecting, so buy our stuff. Final bit of news. From the Feldy Friendly News Department, thank you. None other than Joe Rogan is under fire for his most recent comments regarding video gamers. <laughs> wow, relatable. Joe says... Video games are a real problem. You know why? Because they're effing fun. I have a real problem with them. And they're really exciting, but you don't get anywhere. You could be doing something exciting and fun, or you could just be playing fun video games. Three years later, you could just be that same kid just playing video games, waiting for the next whatever the f game is, and you're going to waste your time. You have to be adaptable. You have to be able to play multiple video games, because the one video game they get really good at what are the odds it'll be around five years from now? It probably will be around five years from now, and you can still be a do-nothing gamer and be doing the same thing. So it will be around. Don't worry, Rogan. It'll be We can still do the same thing in five years and ten years from now. Isn't that what life's all about? Just, just keep doing the same game 30 years from now, and then we die, right? So keep playing those video games, kids. <laughs> and we can see why this is the Feldy Friendly News Department. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I mean, I don't have all negative things on video games, because I'll give you one example from my real life. I'll be sincere for a second. Um, my ex-boyfriend now played a lot of video games. I think I've caught him playing probably six or eight or nine hours. Uh, wait, wait, wait. How do you catch somebody playing video games? Are they, like, is he, like, hiding in a corner? <laughs> it wasn't a secret. He's at my dining room table like, out in the open. It's a big room. But, um, you know, I, I noticed. I noticed he played video games for probably... I'm sure one day was probably up to nine hours, and on this one day that was probably nine hours, I went to a film screening with some friends who made films. It's very inspiring. We made a film together a couple of weeks ago, and we're doing things. And I'm not knocking him, but what I'm going to say as a silver lining is that I have ways to escape, too, and my ways are stuffing my face at the end of the day and watching TV and, and Netflix or Hulu. Um, and I've spent several hours doing that. I don't lately. I've been really good, but I've definitely spent, you know, three or four hours at the end of the day watching TV. So perhaps one would say that playing video games um, and talking with people online is a little bit more productive than just laying back and disappearing into <laughs> trash TV. <laughs> right? I think so. I, I, think I think everybody has their own vice, and as long as it's done in moderation and it doesn't hurt you in any way, shape, or form, or hurt others, Right. I say go for it. And also, to have a boyfriend with video games, like, at least he's not, not out sleeping around and doing God knows what. He's playing video games right in front of me, drinking milk, while other <laughs> people are taking Adderall and going clubbing and getting wasted and taking hookers home. So, you know what? It was kind of, it was kind of refreshing to have my first and maybe last video game boyfriend. So shout out to them. It was a beautiful 14 months in RIP. We're not doing that again. <laughs> so at least, so right there, instead of catching him playing video games, you're not catching him doing something else. No, it was nice. I, it was it was probably one of my first and only relationships where I could sleep soundly at night and I wasn't worried or paranoid. <laughs> and it was really nice and I, I kind of miss it. I do, because I don't think that's going to happen for me for a little while. 
who are you gaming with over there? I, I like fun people or quite charming. And I don't trust charming people. Charming people are not to be trusted. I'm a little charming, but I think I'm, I think I'm trustworthy. Wait, so, but isn't the whole point of being charming is to charm people? It is, but if someone's charming, which the last boyfriend really wasn't, like, you can't trust them because they're going to charm everyone, you know? They got more access to more to more people, and uh, they're usually, you know, really charming people. They can just whip it out at any time and put the charm on and just put anyone under their spell. So... You know. I, I think that's a completely different show. <laughs> it is a completely different show. I'm just sort of a YouTube article, so I'm all about the relationships. So. <laughs> yeah, but no, I think there's a lot of benefits to video games. It actually could be an integral part of living a really healthy life. So, you know, like anything, it can, it can go either way. It can be healthy and it can be very destructive. So um, I, I say, and, and as a, as you, since you mentioned it, I'll bring it up very quickly because we don't have much time left. Um, there has been the, the ugly side of video games where people call the cops and SWAT on other people playing video games. And people have died because of which. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a thing. It's, um, so you're playing a game with somebody and you call the cops and you say that there's somebody going on in their house. And it has been recorded. It has been cases where people are playing video games they don't hear the cops at the door they bust and they come you know guns blazing and they have killed people for playing video games why would someone call the SWAT team on them? because they don't want them to win they're, they're upset with them and they want them to lose and it's it's a thing it's it's actually has happened many it happens more times than you think it has wow so yeah i i know there's a term for it and i've used, and we've used it on the show before but i don't have the term in my head but but wow. yeah it's it's a thing you know, I wish to have that competitive drive in myself a little bit more, but not at that level. <laughs> but wow. um, my, my final thought was um, I'm curious as to what's more powerful, Joe Rogan or the video game industry to see how this is going to turn out. Because sometimes this cancel culture might be that they're going to get rid of Joe Rogan for saying such hurtful and nasty things about video games. Or it'll just you know blow away as if it's nothing because Joe Rogan is so big and powerful. Yeah, the latter, for sure. Unless all the gamers get together and like, you know what, we're going to get together, we're going to take our online guns that don't actually shoot anything, and we're going to get Joe Rogan. Well, nice, uh, good luck with that. Well, <laughs> good luck with that IRL, using all your weapons online. <laughs> well, since you put it that way, I, so, um, I'm going to say that the, uh, the gamers will be too busy playing games to, uh, to cancel culture Joe Rogan. True. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe we have some very active and proactive gamers on our hands. I don't know. We'll have to find out. Wait and see till next week, and we'll have to talk about Diamond Comics and Joe Rogan every week. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm surprised there's no Diamond Comics news this week. I, I was actually sad. I was looking through the news. I was quite sad. I was like, oh, I want to hear about the new Diamond, Diamond Saga. <laughs> it's like my new soap opera here. I love it. So, yeah, so that's it for the news. I think you did a fine job uh, with the news this week. Thank you. I didn't mumble. I mumbled a lot last week. I was a little out of it. Do you have any final thoughts before you take our break? Yeah, as always, if someone gives you a water pick and an electric toothbrush, use it. It's a sign, baby. It's, it's a sign. Use it. Are you normally going around handing out water picks and <laughs> toothbrushes yeah, to people? When I get more money, I will. Mm -hmm. So that's what you should do at a convention. When we have our table, 
You should be giving out water picks to everybody. Yeah, it's like toothpicks if I'm cheap. Water <laughs> picks if I get really rich one day. You know, if the show gets really successful, everyone will get a water pick. You get a water pick and you get a water pick. And if you don't use it, well, you're out. You're fired. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so that's it for the news. We were going to take our break. We'll be right back with it came from the radio. Oh, I need a break. Hi, you've heard my voice open and close the show. Now we want to hear your voice. If you have a business or product, you can record a commercial here. We offer 30 and 60 second spots. For more information, contact Mark at MFC underscore studios at hotmail.com. Hey kids, this is CJ Ramon of the world famous Ramones, and then you're listening to It Came From The Radio. New comics are back at Cosmic Comics and Games of Baldwin. And now get ready for Joker War from DC Comics. Cosmic Comics and Games is open Wednesday from noon to 7, Thursday from 2 to 7, Friday from 2 to 7, and Saturday from noon to 5. So if you want the latest Marvel DC image or independent comics, comic book supplies, back issues, or magic cards, please call Chuck at 516-763-1133 for all the details. Thank you and stay safe. Now, back to our show. This is Charlie Saladino, senior correspondent from It Came From The Radio. I'd just like to say a couple of words about a friend of mine that I lost last week. As uh, a lot of you know, I worked at ABC Television from 1979 to 1997, and I arrived there at about the same time as a gentleman who had a successful show in a uh, morning show in Los Angeles and they wanted to uh, market him in New York and across the uh, country and that of course is my friend Regis Philbin we lost Regis last week and uh, it was very sad for all of us who knew him Regis was an amazing amazing human being with a, a quick wit that we're all gonna miss um, just every time you saw him he made you feel so important uh, he was a giving man and he he um, he was he was just a, a wonderful human being uh, to give you an example of the way Regis was um, I'm in the studio one day and he's doing a promo and we've always you know always asked how our families were and at the time my mother went for open heart surgery and she was a little depressed being the little Italian lady she was and she used to do everything go every place now she had to slow down a little so she was a little depressed so Regis is doing promos and he um, he was in the middle of a promo and as I walked past the studio I got my as always got my hey Charlie how you doing how's the family and uh, with that I said I read good I'm a little concerned about mom she just had open-heart surgery and right away how is she how's she doing I said, she's doing good all the um, vital signs are good it's just psychologically she's a little depressed because she has to slow down with that the producer Gelman said we're ready for the other pro next promo he gets up and he goes wait a minute I'll be right back and he comes over to me he goes give me your phone number so I said really he says give me your phone number. I want to talk to your mother I gave him my phone number and that he did he called up my house 
he spoke with my mother for five minutes, five minutes of one hell of a pep talk that he gave her. And um, she was so thrilled, and as my father was. <laughs> and uh, at the, the end of that conversation, he said to her, Annie, I'm sending you home. I'm sending your son home with something I'm going to give you. So, you know, keep that with you and think, you know, you got to get out of this. So she, um, they hang up and he turns around and he gives me, uh, one of the, one of the, um, guests on the show gave him a, a chef teddy bear and it, it was beautiful. Teddy bear was dressed in a chef's outfit and he says to me, Charlie, I want you to bring this home for your mother. And with that, he writes uh, a big letter for my mom on the back of one of his promo posters. And when I got home with that, her eyes just lit up. First of all, she was the talk of, of the neighborhood because of this. And then, just for the sake that Regis is giving her this gift with, with this letter, Oh my God, it made a day. Needless to say, she got out of her funk. Um, she started getting better. And that just gives you the idea of what a human being this this gentleman was. And um, I also knew his wife, Joy, and um, watched his kids grow up. Um, he, he just, he's just going to be missed so much. Um, wonderful man. He made you feel important. And that's just, that was just him. And uh, I remember many a days on Columbus Avenue when we would go out for lunch, not together. He would go out and I'd be walking back from lunch and we would see each other. And because he's Regis and I didn't want any attention brought to him, you know, man has to have his private moments. So, I would just wave to him very nonchalant, and that wasn't good enough for each. He would always, Charlie, where are you going? What are you coming back from lunch? What are you doing? And we'd start talking. And now all the crowd is passing, seeing me talking to Regis Philbin, and I felt like the most important guy on Columbus Avenue. And that's just the way he was. If he didn't know you, he would stop to talk and ask you how everything was. Um, you kind of thought he was going to live forever, but but he didn't, and it's it's very sad. And we have to deal with life without Regis, and um, it's sad because he was a great human being. He will be missed. My heart goes out to his wife Joy and his two children. His two children there, they're young women now with, with children of their own. And um, just his family and his friends who knew him and my ABC family who also knew him. He will definitely be missed. He, he was a man for all seasons. This is Charlie Saladino from It Came From The Radio. Back to you, Mark. Hi, this is Sherilyn Fenn, and you're listening to It Came From The Radio. Hey guys, this is Christy from Custom Cakes by Christy. I want you to know that I'm here for you. I'm keeping my private kitchen open for any needs your family may have. I've been focusing on breads, soups, muffins, quiches, and other basics, but I'm still accepting dessert orders as well. 
Please follow my Facebook for immediate pickup items. Private message me for custom orders. Custom Cakes by Christy, I-N-C-K-R-I-S-T-Y. Text me at 631-606-8166. Now, back to our show. Hey, this is Jaybird and Lee, and we're here to talk about movies, music, TV, and what's going on in our part of the world. Today we're going to talk about the movie Big Fish. Woohoo, Big Fish! If you haven't watched the movie Big Fish, this is what it's about. Edward Bloom is nearing the end of his life. His son comes to spend time with his father and find out which of his stories he was told as a kid are fact and fictional. Yeah, it's a great film. It stars Billy Crudup as the son. Um, Some of you guys might know him as um, Dr. Manhattan in The Watchmen. Then you have Albert Finney, who's been who the late Albert Finney, who is a great um, actor. One of my favorite films with him is Miller's, Miller's Crossing, and uh, of course, the Obi Wan Kenobi, Ewan McGregor. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what did you like about the movie? I really liked how it was how like the stories weren't necessarily real like they were fictional but like at the end you that made no sense no it totally makes sense they were fictional stories based on true events right i mean of this guy's life which since it's a movie it's all fictional but um you know he had a large amount of he just lived life to the fullest is what i got out of it yeah right big stories always talking about those stories wanting to be remembered that kind of thing but what, what what's one of your uh, favorite scenes? Um, I think when, honestly, I think the ending when, um, the son was talking to his dad about how he um passed away, and how he was going to pass yeah. away, right? His story, uh-huh. of, right? So there was a story. So his, so basically, Albert Finney's character was um sick, and he was gonna pass away and then with all these big stories the only story he didn't know was the one where um he where he died right and how it was going to happen so he tried to pass the torch on to his son to to say these big stories yeah and i think the son finally understood that his dad's point of view at the end of the movie yeah i mean it's a great film a lot of it has to deal with like um it was just entertaining. I mean, it was very colorful. It was big. It was, um, I think it was kind of true to what they called the name, Big Fish, right? Yeah, so, to an extent. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, one of my favorite scenes is Steve Buscemi, who's in the movie. He plays one of the um, friends of uh, Ewan McGregor in, in the film. And um, they're waiting online at a bank. And... You and McGregor asks uh, Steve Buscemi, hey, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, I'm going to rob the bank. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I love that part. Then he just, like, gives the gives him a gun. Gives uh, him a gun. And he gives you and McGregor the gun, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So another Tim Burton movie that's yeah. on your list, right? Yeah, I guess uh, Tim Burton... We love Tim Burton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like it. You've got... I mean, granted, as much as the story is kind of a de- little depressing at the end, it's still like a grand story. Right? Yeah, it really is. It's And it was fun to watch with the, fam- well, with the family. Yeah, no, it was a great movie. So, let's see. You just watched uh, Big Fish. You've seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. 
James uh, and the Giant Peach. Yeah, was that a Tim Burton movie? Yeah, that's a Tim Burton one. Wow, I didn't remember if that was a Tim Burton movie. Okay, it was Beetlejuice, Sleepy Hollow. right? Beetlejuice was also a Tim Burton film. You did uh, Sleepy Hollow, right? Was yeah. That, a, that was a... Um, Tim Burton. Yeah, also, that was right? Tim Burton. Yeah, so you are definitely on a Tim Burton roll right now. <laughs> We're gonna yeah. have to see uh, what other Tim Burton movies you haven't seen and watch them all. And watch them all. Well, you saw Pee Wee Herman, right? Uh, yeah, I have. Okay, that's another that Tim Burton movie. Good... Yeah, I used to call him Pee Wee Sherman. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess you know what, Edward Scissorhands will have to be one that we. Yeah, watch. I've been wanting to watch that. Yeah, I think it's a great film, and we'll have to check it out. But do you recommend Big Fish? Yes. All right, cool. As yeah, a, along with all the other movies I've seen by Tim Burton. <laughs> all right, um, yeah, and again, it's an older movie. You guys should check it out. Uh, was it on Netflix? Is that where we saw it? Um, yeah, no. Amazon? I, I don't remember. <laughs> okay, it might have been Amazon or Netflix, either one of those. Anyway, definitely check it out if you haven't seen it. And if you have seen it, watch it again. <laughs> All right. Well, we're out of here. So thanks for listening. Stay healthy, stay connected, and stay safe. Have a good one. Bye. I'm Nathan Booth from Ben and Apple TV, and you're listening to It Came From the Radio. The Comic Book Depot has been in business since 1993. Your one-stop comic book shop for comics, gaming, and collectibles. The Comic Book Depot club membership is $15 and gets you 15% off new comics, back issues, graphic novels, and 10% off comic book supplies. Located at 2847 Jerusalem Avenue in Wontaw, New York. Contact us on Facebook for curbside pickup because new comics are back. For more information, give Alan a call at 516-221-9337. The Comic Book Depot. Now, back to our show. Hi, everyone. This is Pronto Comics' own Dominic Sperano, and it is once again time for... My comic book pick of the week. So I've been preparing mentally to do this for some time now, and I guess you might have been able to guess from the music what we're going to be discussing today in terms of my pick of the week. It is arguably one of the best, if not the best, graphic novel series ever created in the history of graphic novels, and that is Neil Gaiman's Sandman. I can't say enough about this book. I can't say enough about that series. It's a series that changes lives. It's a series that you begin to read and you quote and you, it stays in your mind for for years and years to come. I remember when I first watched it, uh, watched it, when I first read it, I must have been 20 or so, and a very good friend of mine turned me on to the book, and I remember asking him at one night, we were going to go out drinking or something, and I asked him what realm he was in. And when you read Sandman, you'll understand what that means. There's arguably not many better writers in comics, in my opinion, than Neil Gaiman. And he has written a lot of comics. But Sandman is by far one of the best things he's ever done. And he knows it, I believe. Uh, In case you don't know what Sandman is, let me read you, of course, from Wikipedia. The Sandman is a comic book series written by Neil Gaiman and published by DC Comics. Now, just so you understand, uh, pausing that for a second, 
all my comic book picks have been independent comics. And yes, Sandman came from out of DC, but it came out of their independent quote unquote title of Vertigo. Um, and in many ways is very independent. It's not really superhero based. The first couple of couple of issues do kind of hint at some superheroes. There are a couple of like little tiny cameos and things, but really it's very independent. It's in its own world, worlds in a lot of ways. So it is very much an independent comic, in my opinion. Anyway, its artists include Sam Keith, Mike Dringenberg, Jill Thompson, Sean McManus, Mark Hempel, and Michael Zuli, with lettering from Todd Klein and covers by Dave McKeon, which, by the way, are some of the most iconic covers, again, in in comic books. Beginning with issue number 47, it was placed under the Vertigo imprint. It tells the story of Dream of the Endless, who rules over the world of dreams. The original series ran for 75 issues from January 1989 to March 1996. The main character of the Sandman is Dream, also known as Morpheus and other names, who is one of the seven Endless. The other Endless are Destiny, Death, Desire, Despair, Delirium, formerly Delight, and Destruction, also known as The Prodigal. The series is famous for Gaiman's trademark use of anthropomorphic personification of various metaphysical entities, while also blending mythology and history in its horror setting within the DC Universe. The Sandman is a story about stories and how Morpheus, the Lord of Dreams, is captured and subsequently learns that sometime changes that sometimes change is inevitable. The Sandman was Vertigo's flagship title and is available as a series in of ten trade paperbacks, a recolored five volume absolute hardcover edition with slipcase, and a black and white annotated edition and is available for digital download. Basically, I'm not by I'm not going to tell you where you can get this. All you need to do is just Google Sandman comic. You're going to see a million links and ways for you to buy this book. Um, it is so heavily ingrained within the culture, and I'm going to explain that in a little bit. Uh, how? But you've encountered Sandman, even if you don't know it, one form or another. Uh, just to understand how good of a comic this is, the Sandman number 19, amidst, again from Wikipedia, the Sandman number 19, A Midsummer Night's Dream, won the World Fantasy Award in 1991 for Best Short Fiction. Its spin-offs have won more than 26 Eisner Awards, include, including three Best Continuing Series, one for Best Short Story, four for Best Writer for Neil Gaiman, seven for Best Lettering, and two for Best Pencil Inker. Um, it's, it's just amazing. Uh, the Sandman Dream Hunters, which is a separate book altogether, uh, was nominated for a Hugo Award for Best Related Book in 2000. The Dream Hunters and Endless Nights won the Bram Stoker Award for Best Illustrated Narrative in 1999 and 2003, respectively. The, the same year, Season of Mists, which is my favorite run in Sandman, the favorite um, storyline, won uh, an International Comics Festival Prize. Uh, in 2005, IGN declared the Sandman as the best Vertigo comic ever. Uh, it, it's just 
so it just won so much. It won, I believe, something that it's the only time a comic has ever won. I think the World Fantasy Award, and then they took comics out of the running after that. Um, Neil Gaiman has a great story in which he's like, it's like they closed the barn after the horse ran out. You know, it's too late. <laughs> it's too late. It, it's happened. People now recognize how wonderful that this series of books um, is. Uh, for instance, in terms of how it's in the popular culture, if you watched the 1990s sitcom Roseanne in the background of Becky's um, bedroom, you have, I believe, death. If you've ever seen a goth girl with black hair and a tank top and wearing an ankh and dark eyeliner, whether they knew it or not, they were Im imitating death from this from this comic, uh, The Sandman. Um, it's just it's just so good. And if you are a comic book fan, you have to have to be reading this. But enough of me talking about it. You know, I like to go to some clips. Here's one of Neil Gaiman himself discussing Sandman. I've got a Sandman question here from Angry Irish Punk, who asks, uh, did you have any idea what an impact it would have when you were writing it? Um, when I started Sandman, I had one goal, and one goal only, which was to last my year. Because in the, in the, in the days of, those far back days of about 1987, I think, I, I signed the contract for Sandman, um, back then, when DC Comics would do a new comic, it was a point of honor for them to do 12 issues. That's no longer true, and it wasn't true before that, but around that time, it happened to be true. And so I really wanted to be just successful enough that they would allow me to do my year. And when I plotted the first Sandman story, I made it eight issues long. And I made it eight issues long because I knew that at issue eight would be the point where I would get the phone call saying, well, it's a minor critical success, but it's not actually selling anything. So we're going to go to issue 12, can you stop? And I would write four short stories and then stop. And I had a few ideas for short stories. Only when I got to issue eight, we were selling more copy, more comics than any comparable comic had sold in, in decades. So I carried on. Um, it never felt at the time, I loved what I was doing, but it never felt like I was doing anything particularly earth-shattering because I didn't really see it changing things. Um, what I think I'd failed to notice was that, that you know, the people who would read it and change things and do stuff were still reading it. <laughs> it wasn't like, you know, they, and they were, a lot of them were still at school or still at university or whatever, and they, they were going to come along later. Um, but no, it's, it's one of those wonderful things to have done in retrospect. I think if I'd thought it was big and clever and important while it was going on, I probably wouldn't have been anywhere near as good. And I certainly wouldn't have written it as fast or as comfortably. So like I said, Sandman has touched your life one way or the other. Here's an, another example. If you watch Lucifer on Netflix, that comes straight out of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Um, I have it here, where Lucifer has decided to leave hell 
and hand the keys of hell over to Morpheus, Dream. And he says to him, they use my name as if I spend my entire day sitting on their shoulders, forcing them to commit acts they would otherwise find repulsive. The devil made me do it. I never made them do anything. Never. They live their own lives. I do not live their lives for them. And then they die, and they come here, having transgressed against what they believe to be right, and expect us to fulfill their desire for pain and retribution. I don't make them come here. They talk of me going around and buying souls like a fishwife comes to market day, never stopping to ask themselves why. I need no souls. And how can anyone own a soul? No, they belong to themselves. They just hate to have to face up to it. And you can see this idea of the devil like in the show. Right? I'm not evil. I punish evil. And also, if you're a fan of the show, you might have noticed that there was one episode in which Neil Gaiman actually voiced God in it. So, uh, the Sandman comics, you can't be a fan of, a true fan of graphic novels. You can be a fan of comics. But if you're really into the deeper art form of graphic novels, it doesn't get better than this pick. And the pick is the entire series. Start with Preludes and Nocturnes, read it all the way up to The Wake, and then read it again. That's <laughs> that's what I would say. Like, just read it once, then, then read it again. Because you're first going to get into the world, and then by reading it a second time the way through, and a third or a fourth, you're going to keep getting things out of this the, these comics that you're not going to get out of just any other comic. So uh, I t- I normally end these by telling you where you can go get them, but I'm just saying just just Google it. Um, I want to read you a real quick quote from Neil Gaiman in well, the character of destruction in the last graphic novel set um, called The Wake. It's astonishing how much trouble one can get oneself into if one works at it. And astonishing how much trouble one can get oneself out of if one simply assumes that everything will, somehow or other, work out for the best. And that, I could say, has been I've seen that in my life personally, and I think we could see that in the world today if we all just hope and, and somehow think it's all going to work out. It might just be a little bit better. And there you go. That's the pick of the week. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's pick. Please remember you can go and check out my own personal webcomic at fishysarcasm.com. You can become a Patreon of the comic. It's only $1 a month. It's the least expensive Patreon out there. I promise you that. Also, please go and check out prontocomics.com. We have plenty of comics for download. And always remember... Logic clearly dictates that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Or the one. So be safe and be healthy. Take care. This is Michael Bell, the voice of Duke from G.I. Joe. And I am here at Cradlecom, and I am with It Came From The Radio. Now, back to our show. So that about does it for this week on It Came From The Radio. Join us right here and every week on this radio station. If you missed any part of this show, 
go to our website www.itcamefromtheradio.com listen to the archives will be up in a week or so like us on Facebook follow us on Twitter on Instagram uh, check us out on Beyond the Dawn Studios and we will see you next week you've been listening to It Came From The Radio with Mark Torres the views of the show's hosts and guests did not necessarily reflect that of the management owners or staff of the station we now return you to your earthly scheduled broadcast